1: Friend, the Lord's day is not about the day. Did you hear me? I'll pause. The Lord's day is not about the day. It's about the Lord of the day.
0: That's Pastor Michael Oxentenco, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is the first portion of the Lord's Day and the Day of the Lord. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. We're in the Revelation series and we're up to a message entitled The Lord's Day and the Day of the Lord. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Now,
1: 7-Eleven is famous for having everything, isn't it? I mean, everything you need when everything else is closed, Now, how many times have you gone in a pinch, late at night, in need for something? Sure enough, 7-Eleven had it. Now, my kids would rather go to 7-Eleven than an ice cream store down the street. No amens. They would rather have a Slurpee than a sundae from Baskin-Robbins. If they want to buy ice cream, they buy it at 7-Eleven. And as of late, if I want to buy ice cream, I buy it at 7-Eleven, too. Well, it happened this week at a 7-Eleven New Jersey. This week, Brittany C. Glanville went to a 7-Eleven to buy sausages, the heated kind. You know, the hot sausages. Now, we know sausage is unhealthy for you. The Bible calls it an unclean meat because it's unhealthy. But many folk who like these hot sausages, they go there to get them. And when she discovered that the hot dog cooker didn't have hot sausages, she went ballistic As she pondered the fact that there were no hot sausages for her, the more she pondered the fact that there were no hot sausages for her, the hotter she got pondering the thought that there were no hot sausages for her. We call that obsessive compulsive behavior. And as her feelings brewed and her anger stewed into the hot kind of anger we see in the news every day, she blew up at the store clerk right there in front of everyone. Where are my hot sausages? I came out for hot sausages. You have sinned because there should be hot sausages here, and I'm mad at you because there are no hot sausages at 7-Eleven. Now, 7-Eleven is supposed to have everything, including hot sausages. Before the clerk knew what was happening, an object whizzed into the air, and with quick reflexes, the clerk managed to deflect it before it hit his head. But that did not stop this young woman from going after him, seeking justice for depriving her of her hot sausages. She started climbing over the counter to claw the clerk to death with well-sharpened fingernails. Now, lunging for the person who had wronged her, with anger in her eyes, because he had deprived her of her hot sausages, she reached out to silence her 7-Eleven adversary who had hurt her so deeply. And when the police arrived... They saved the clerk from her and they arrested her and for a very good reason that day. But that was not the end of the ordeal with her. As they stuffed her into the back of the police car, she started kicking out the windows of the cruiser. I want hot sausages. She wanted hot sausages no matter what. So the policeman he decided to give her what she wanted. He, he did the best to comply with her warm wishes that day. He sprayed her in the face with hot prepper spray and she finally calmed down on her way to jail, no more clamoring for hot sausages. Now friends, we live in a day when men and women do not know what it means to have rest in their lives. They are seeking hot sausages. And they do not know how to calm down and cool down and find Christ to be peace in the life that needs rest. We live in a world where the hungry heart is crying out for spiritual hot sausages, truth that is hot on the table and tasty and zesty, and men and women everywhere are looking for truth that will bring peace and rest from the cravings of a world that has gone mad. Isn't that the kind of world we live in? People's lives today are lives that are really out of control because outward circumstances are yanking them down. Men and women strive for recognition, and when they finally get it, they die, and they're quickly forgotten. We live in a generation where people don't want to wait for anything anymore. They want the future now. and If they can't have it now, they go ballistic to get it right now. Since 9-11, I have found that people are clamoring for security instead of freedom. Isn't that true? They just want to know everything's going to be okay. Take away whatever freedom you need to, but make sure life is secure, safe, sound, calm for us. The book of Revelation describes the final generation. I believe we are living in end-time events today. It describes the final generation this way. Turn with me to Revelation 14, verse 11. The Bible says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. In other words, the final generation is enamored with hot sausages. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. In the book of Revelation, the beast is the world kingdom system that takes the place of Jesus Christ in lives of men and women at the time of the end. People will be in restless pursuit of hot sausages, but they will not be pursuing the living Christ who brings rest for the soul. In the New Testament, Christ is the Son of God. And dear heart, we don't come to church here to look smart. We don't come to church here to impress others. We don't come to church here Because somehow we need a social club to make us feel like we belong. We come to church because in the long line of apostolic truth, we worship the Son of God as the Savior of the world. And in the book of Revelation, the beast is the child of Satan, just in a counterfeit way, as Christ is the child of God the Father. Jesus receives his authority from his Father in the New Testament. Likewise, in Revelation 13, 2, the beast receives his authority from the dragon, who is Satan, the father of the beast. In Revelation 22, 1, Christ shares his throne with God the Father. In Revelation 13, verse 2, the beast receives his throne from the dragon, who is Satan. You can kind of figure it out. Satan is a counterfeit God, the Father, and the beast is a counterfeit Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And just like Jesus' relationship to God the Father, the beast looks like the dragon, which is his father. And so there's a, there's a counterfeit there. In Revelation 13, 1, the beast has seven heads and ten horns, just like the dragon in Revelation 12, verse 3. And at the time of the end, those who worship the world kingdom system beast The Bible is very clear in Revelation 14.11. They have no rest day or night in their lives. I don't want to deal with end time events and let fear be the dominating quality of my my growth with God. The book of Revelation is absolutely clear that we need rest in Jesus Christ. Now the Greek word used for rest in Revelation 14.11 is the Greek word anapausis. I'll say it again, anapausis. Now, the worshipers of the beast, the world kingdom system, have no anapausis kind of rest, day or night. Now, what does this word mean? Anapausis is a composite word in the Greek language. The word ana means again. And the word pausis is derived from our word that we get the word to pause. It means to rest. So you put it together. Ana means again. And pausis means rest so anapausis means to rest again. It's cyclical and renewed rest. It's the kind of rest that you renew every week in your worship with God. In fact, it is the special Greek word that is used for the rest of the holy Sabbath day. It is Sabbath rest. Jesus used this very same word in the Greek in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 in the great invitation for the sinner and the one who needs peace to come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what we're looking at in verse 28 is a great invitation. It's not limited to the elect. It's not limited to the good. The call is made to everyone. All who hear and are heavy laden, come. I mean, Christ didn't die for the few. He died for everyone. He died for every single person who needs to know that God's grace can reach them. And then he says, I will give you rest. And the Greek word is anapausis kind of rest. I will give you Sabbath rest. I will give you the rest that is renewed, that wells up into you as eternal life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, Christ did not come into this world to beat you down and to demoralize you in your walk toward God. Christ came into this world to give you antipasus, Sabbath kind of rest. Dear heart, if you're struggling with a heavy burden, Jesus is the one who lifts the burden with a heavenly grace. If your peace is assaulted by your sins, sins that you can't get rid of, Christ is the one who receives sinners and he holds pardon for you today and he will get rid of your sins for you. If you're weary of trying to manage your future on your own, Jesus is the one who holds the future for you. And he holds you too because he is the future. If you feel the heavy burden of getting through life instead of giving to life and living through life, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life you need. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What you could never earn by your own works. What you can never achieve by trying hard, he will give to you through faith and you can receive it. What you can never achieve by raw effort, you can receive by pure grace through raw faith. Jesus has for the weary soul that which is rest for the soul and an end to the weary road. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now the Greek word used for rest here is Sabbath rest, anapausis. And that's the kind of rest we really need in life. It's not rest right now only. It's rest today and rest that will be renewed again and again and again because Jesus is with us. Christ has anapausus kind of rest, Sabbath rest, for the soul that seeks Him. You know, Christ has given us the chance to stop, to cease, to worship, to bow down, and be renewed in the Holy Spirit, to feel the glow of God, the gospel of God, interacting with our lives so that our lives are not ordinary. They're carried on eagle's wings into a future that's uncertain from human mind. We have a rest that is in Jesus that is not manufactured by the world. Christ has what the world system beast will never have. He has Anna Paus's kind of rest. And as soon as Jesus introduces anapausis rest, Sabbath rest, renewed rest, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, immediately, in Matthew 12, Jesus feeds his hungry disciples on the Sabbath day. I mean, if you're hungry spiritually, and you need rest in your soul, according to the New Testament, you can be fed on the Sabbath day. And by this miracle, he's teaching his church that there is food in the house of God on the Sabbath day. In Matthew 12, he drew attention to the bread of the presence that David ate when he was fleeing for his life. It was the holy bread in the holy place baked for God's presence. It was called lechem hapanim, bread of the face, bread of the presence, which meant bread from the Holy Spirit. The presence of God. It was hot bread, just baked. And the priest gave David the hot bread of the Holy Spirit's presence to him on the Sabbath day. If you want hot spiritual bread, the bread of the presence of the Holy Spirit, it comes every week on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus made this statement so there would be no doubt that everyone would know that the Sabbath day is the Lord's day. Matthew 12, 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of what? What does it say? Of the Sabbath. He's very clear here. No confusion. Then Jesus heals a man with a withered hand in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, it was a scandal in the ancient Jewish world to heal on the Sabbath day. I mean, the idea of lifting your finger to do work for the sake of someone on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus makes it absolutely clear that the spirit of the Sabbath is the concern, the spirit of God that works for the worth of a human soul. That the Sabbath day is God's special chosen day and time to restore and uplift humanity that was created in the image of God. And on the Sabbath day, God is in the business of healing his people. You ever come to church broken? You ever go through life and you feel broken? God has appointed the Sabbath day for the healing of the human race because Jesus healed on that day. Matthew 12, 12. Jesus says, Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Christ taught in clearest kind of terms that the Sabbath is for the healing of the human race and is absolutely lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. Now the discussion of anapausis, cyclical kind of Sabbath rest for the soul, it ends in Matthew 12.45 with the demons who can never find rest. He starts with Jesus who makes the great invitation to come and I will give you rest. And it ends with demons who can never give you rest. The demons would like to have this kind of rest, but they don't and they will not because they have rejected Jesus. And you can't have Sabbath rest without the Lord of the Sabbath, who is Jesus Christ. Matthew twelve forty three. reading down, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest. And here the Greek word is anapausis, seeking Sabbath kind of rest, but he finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. So, what does he do? Verse 45. Then he goes and he brings with him how many demons? What does it say? I mean, when you don't want Sabbath rest in your life, when you don't want anapausis kind of rest, I mean, so the devil brings seven other spirits to take the place of God's perfect Sabbath rest, more evil than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So it shall be also with this evil generation. Dear heart, to have the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about, we have to have Jesus. That may not sound profound to you, but I'll say it again. To have the kind of rest the Bible is talking about, we have to have Jesus. I mean, Christ is the source of it, it's rooted in Him. Without Him, it doesn't happen. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you anapausis, Sabbath rest.
0: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael oxen Tenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. If
1: you won't come to Jesus for this kind of rest, in the end, demons will take their place in your house. The worshipers of the beast have no rest. Matthew 12, 45, seven evil spirits take over the house that has no anapalsis, Jesus-centered Sabbath rest. The book of Revelation teaches that at the end of time, the world will choose demons instead of Jesus. The worshipers of the beast will have no Sabbath rest, no Jesus. Friend, the Lord's day is not about the day. Did you hear me? I'll pause. The Lord's day is not about the day. It's about the Lord of the day. In a world filled with trouble, and a world gone mad with anger, The Lord's Day points to the rest that comes in Jesus and the rest that calms the soul down to receive Jesus. The Lord's Day is about the Lord of the day. St. John suffered much for Jesus. He became a pastor lived at Ephesus and there he took care of Mary, the blessed mother of Jesus. I have visited the church of St. John at Ephesus and it bears witness to the truth that he was there, that this is not just dreamed up history. And John was the last disciple to die of the twelve. It was thought by some he would never die, but no, he died when the time was right. But before he died, he was persecuted off the charts for the testimony of Jesus. And according to church tradition, John was boiled in oil. Imagine that, being boiled in oil. He survived the ordeal to write the book of Revelation, but that changes you when you're persecuted like that. When they could not kill him, he was exiled to the island of Patmos by the evil emperor Domitian. He seemed an old man with no more to give. It looked like his life course had run its route. It looked like he had nothing more to offer, banished on the penal colony of the island of Patmos, to live out his days and to be ruined by circumstances. It was the time of life when the eye dims, and you can't see well without glasses, and sitting beside the choppy sea with no glasses. He was seeking a way to see Jesus through the tribulation of his life. He was seeking a way to see through the fog of the end times of his life. I mean, forget the end times. It was the end times of his life. Revelation nine, he writes, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus, the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John did not come to Patmos because he wanted to go on a vacation. He was on the island of Patmos because he had been bowled and oiled by the evil emperor Domitian. And they couldn't kill him or stop him from preaching. And when they couldn't stop a preacher from preaching, they exiled him far away from his church family. That's the worst kind of torture for a preacher. John was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He writes, I, John, your brother. Now what kind of brother is John here? The context holds the answer. He continues, your brother who share with you in Jesus, the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. I mean, John wasn't one who lorded over his people. No, he was one with his people. John wasn't better than the brethren. He was one of the brethren. John wasn't there to benefit from the church. He was there for the benefit of the church. And anyone who was brave enough to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, as far as John was concerned, that person was a brother, period. And you can tell a true believer when he or she stands up for Jesus Christ when it's not popular to do so. How many of you have been following the news? This pastor in Iran, converted to Jesus Christ, became a shepherd of his flock, sentenced to death for being a Christian, for converting to Christ. And I don't hear any great outcries from the humanitarian Agencies of this world, I mean, they're going to blink and let this man die. It's Christians who love the brethren, who have stood up and said, this man is with Christ, we must do something. And I don't see any national outcry to do something to save him. Anyone who stands for Christ is willing to give their life for Christ. We owe them our allegiance. We hear so much today about people going to church to have their needs met in praise music and holy dancing and this kind of thing. In John's day, if you went to church, you suffered and you were persecuted for the word of God. The brethren in those days were those who suffered with you and for you. And because they believed in Jesus Christ, they were with you. And they didn't care if they went to jail too, if they had to stand with you. Their brethren weren't those who persecuted you. They were those who suffered with you. My favorite theologian describes suffering in this way. And of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. My father showed me this statement shortly before he died. He had a terminal illness. He had lived a good deal of his life messing it up. He had come to know Jesus. And he was saying, you know what? I'm here really because I made bad decisions. Alcohol and other things. But he said, in a way, I'm sharing the sufferings of Christ because if Christ doesn't heal me, he's allowed me to suffer for his sake, to bear witness to his truth. So he said, when I die, and I will die probably soon. And he did. I want Jesus in the mix. And I want to learn from it and draw from it Christ, that I might share Christ with others. And the Christ he was sharing was shared with me. The book of Revelation is about the great tribulation, dear heart. We all go through tribulations in life. But there's a great tribulation coming that's far more difficult than what we face today. In Revelation 7-4, the Bible says the saints will come out of the great tribulation with white robes washed by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 1-9, there's a curious Greek construction that sheds light on the meaning of tribulation for Christians. We need to focus on it, I think, to understand what's happening here. So let's go back to Revelation 1-9 and read the verse together. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus... The tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. Now, as you look at that verse, do you see the in front of the tribulation? Yes or no? Do you see the in front of the kingdom? Do you see the in front of the patient endurance? Now, my translation is off. That translation you're looking at right there is not really what the Greek says. The Greek text is a little different from the Revised Standard Version I just read there on the screen. In the English translation, we've just seen tribulation with a definite article in front of it, the kingdom and the patient endurance is not there in the Greek. It's just kingdom and patient endurance with no definite article. The original Greek only has the definite article the in front of the tribulation. It should read the tribulation and kingdom and patient endurance. But when you see this Greek construction with a the followed by a word and then the word and, another word, and another word, According to Sharpe's rule, when you see this Greek construction, it indicates that whatever follows that first word with the the is a restatement of it or somehow it belongs to it. So what does it mean here? It means the tribulation is the kingdom and the patient endurance. It means that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of tribulation and patient endurance. If you become a Christian, you think that God has an easy road for you, you're wrong. The kingdom road is the trail with tears and of tribulation. The tribulation is the kingdom and the patient endurance. There's joy in the journey, all right, but there's tribulation too. There's no crown without a cross, and there's no glory without a story of suffering with Jesus. If you want Jesus, you need to pick up your cross and follow him every day without whining about it. Did you hear what I said? So how do you get through the tribulation in the last days, and more importantly, in these last days? How can a believer have peace and rest in the face of a restless world that insists that you have to bow down at a frenetic altar crying out for hot sausages when you really need the hot power of the Holy Spirit to warm the soul? How, how is the heart to find rest when there is no rest day or night for the worshipers of the beast in his image? Where do you find Sabbath rest? You'll notice in Revelation one nine that if you receive the kingdom, that is defined by patience and tribulation, you will have Jesus in the midst of trouble.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast, the first portion of the Lord's Day and the Day of the Lord. Join us again next time when we complete this broadcast. Again, a reminder, you can visit us at the church for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We'd love to have you there. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road